Imagine being at the altar for your wedding day. Some of you have actually been doing that already. I understand. It's not much of a stretch. Your family is there. The music is real. The venue real. But everyone in the audience is rented. Yes, you heard that right. None of your real friends are there. None of your co-workers are there. They're all compensated actors. And then imagine if the man or the woman you were about to say I do to is guess what? Paid as well. Your spouse is not real because he or she is an actor as well. They're rented for the day. The whole affair, you can have this, will run you close to $47,000 if you want it. And if that weren't enough, the firm from the same company, you can rent parents when you need them, children when you need them, friends for whatever occasion you need them for, to make an apology to your boss, to be a parent to your child. Whatever you need, the rented relationships can be provided. Who knew relationships were such a big business? But you know, maybe this isn't new at all. This just shows us that the deep need for relationships is something that all of us have, so much so that a whole industry can be created and built on it. Everything I just told you is true. I promise. There are rent there are rental relationships that you can have. The need to be known and to know others is something that all of us, whether we are Christians or not, desperately need. And I bet that you have wrestled with this already in this school year. Think about it. For some of you, you are not sure if in a mere seven days of classes this TCU is for you. You're just not sure. You wonder about loneliness. You wonder if you can call this place home. You wonder if you'll make friends. Some of you miss home, right? Recruitment didn't go the way that you had hoped. You already can't stand your roommate. And by the way, she really did break up with you this week, this, this summer. I mention all this just to sort of get your hearts thinking and stirring about it because not only are relationships can be hard and painful, others of us know the positive side of relationships as well, right? We love the people we've come back to see. Some of you think that you know who you want to marry because they waved at you on Thursday, for example, right? <laughs> Some of you are wisely considering engagement. Others are planning trips for fall break with your besties. Why? Here's why. Here's the point. Because we were made for relationships. So whether you're hopeful romantics, extroverted expressive extroverts, listening introverts, or jaded cynics, we all tacitly know that relationships in all of their forms shape us and even define us. You see, all semester long, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of relationships. We're going to consider what the Bible says about dating, about friendships, about sex, about marriage, among others. But tonight, we want to take a look first at this big picture, this big picture about relationships. And here it is, ready? Here's the thing I want you to see, that you and me were created for relationships. That is, that, that, that you and me have our very origins and our being in relationships. Now, I'll spell it out in a little bit from these texts that we've read tonight, and I'd like to just sort of give it to you underneath three headings. First of all, the source of relationships. 
Secondly, I'd like to show you the nature of relationships. And then thirdly, I'd like to spend some time talking a little bit from the text about the limits of relationships. So let's take a look firstly, the fir- first point here being the source of our relationships. You caught it there likely in verse 26 on your paper or in your Bible. Here's what it says. Did you catch a look at it? You see, much like a river has its source up the headwaters, so too relationships themselves have a source. They have a starting point. And you see it right here in the beginning of the Bible in verse 26 where we find that source itself. Take a look at it with me. I'm going to read it again. We see that the Bible says this. This is God speaking, and God says, Let us make man, that is mankind, in our image. And we see here immediately something utterly staggering. Did you catch it? God is not in the singular person. You see, let, let, let us, let us make man. And what you're saying, seeing in other words is that God himself does not exist in solitude. Rather, at the very heart of the God of the universe is community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit forever and eternity past. And so what lies at the very heart of reality itself is relationship and community. And what the Bible is saying is that that triune God that existed perfectly in relationship, in all happiness and joy and perfection and power and strength and truth, decided to open that up and make man and make woman out of that as a way to show us something about his very heart. Now, what does this mean, this idea of being created in the image of God? Did you catch that phrase in there? You see, in ancient cultures, in ancient cultures, statues representing kings and emperors would have been placed most certainly in temples. But they also would have been placed around the empire as well to remind you of that emperor or that king's presence, his rule, his beneficence and benevolence to you. And the idea is, is that by looking at this statue, that you would be reminded of his presence. Well, in the same way, those were not only called statues, they were called images. And they were representations of the very gods. Emperors were seen as that to remind you of what they were. Listen to what um, Professor Richard Middleton says in, in uh, one of his, this is a great quote, he says this, as Imago Dei, now that's just Latin for as image of God, as Imago Dei then, humanity is called to be the representative and intermediary of God's power and blessing on earth. That, that's what you were made for right there. That is who you are at your most fundamental level. That you are image of God. That homo sapiens, this is, how, this is our, what we're made for. God is the great King of kings, has given man and woman together the royal stamp to be His relational representatives on the earth. Quick story to drive this home. When our identical twins were little, one of the things we'd do from time to time was to put our girls in front of a mirror and ask them, who is that? So, you know, we, we have twins, so this is going to get a little funky, but hang with me on this. So we would ask Evangeline, one of the twins, who is that? And most of the time she would say, Audrey. 
Audrey's her sister. Now, I don't know if my child was like really smart and sort of went meta on me or what, but um, I don't know if there was some deep philosophical comment or that, or that or what, but in all actuality, she would actually call herself by her sister's names, which wasn't helped by the fact that Audrey would actually call Evangeline Audrey. And so things were really confusing in there for about three months or so. So we would correct her and we would say, no, who is that? And then Evangeline would say, Jeline. And we'd say, yeah, that's right. And here's my point. The reflection in the mirror is an image that represents the real thing in some way. So this too is what it means to be an image bearer of God. Part of what it means to be human is to reflect and bear forth His relationalness. We were literally created from the relation of a triune God and our very personhood has, I'm making up a word, relationality at our core. That at our core is relationalness. And that's what I want you to see here. I just want to ask this question. What bearing might this have on your life if this is the source of all of our relationships? Well, here it is. It means that you and me and every single person on this earth was, was made for community. That's not something side to their life. It's not a little side trimming. It's actually at the core of what they were meant to be. And I want to say this, that additionally there is this bad teaching out there in the Christian world that says, no, 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 no. God really wants me to just focus on my relationship with Him. And part of what it means to be holy is to isolate and do life just by myself with Him. And I just want to say that's not true. There is no such thing as a solitary Christian. If the sum total of our conception of Christianity is me and Jesus, listen to me, if that's the sum total of your understanding of Christianity is me and Jesus, then we need to grow in our understanding. So what are the things in your life right now that you need to watch out for that might cause you to go against who you were made to be as an image bearer? You see, it can be any really good number of things that cut you off from community and relationship. You see, it can be your current or future job. You know, it can actually be your internship. It can be your studies. Like how many times, think about this, how many times have you made plans to be with people and to hang out with them and to cut them on and to cut them off in the last minute to study for exams that you've already studied for but it's your anxiety driving your goal to get an A or a B or whatever and you sacrifice community for it am I saying that academics are bad no what I'm saying is your anxiety about your academics is bad God made you. He put you in community in these ways. And I'm going to go a little bit deeper on this. Listen to me. Even your faith. Even your faith is something easy to hide behind. It's a great label to hide behind to be an incredibly isolated person. And I'm just inviting you to find a better way. I urge you to place yourself in good community here at TCU. Be good community for others as well. And I want you to know this, that here at RUF, we long to be that sort of community. John Donne, that English poet, was right. No man, no woman is an island. And we're not meant to live that way. Why? Because who you were made to be was a relational person.
That's who you were made to be. The source of our relationships is found in the very God who made us. He is community. And therefore, it is written in our DNA, so to speak. But that's not all that Genesis 1 tells us about relationships. Let's take a look, secondly, at the nature, the nature of relationships. You see, there is a closely connected second point, and it deals with the nature of our relationships. Look, at, look with me at verse 2.18. Did you catch it there? It is staggering. Read with me. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. So, what does God do? God puts the man to sleep, pulls a rib out. I don't know how that went for old Adam. Nevertheless, he makes womankind out of that. And then what does God say after he looks at it all? And there it is in verse 131. We have to go back. But like God sees it. He sees it all together. And he doesn't just say, after every day he would say, it was good. It was good. It was good. But, but after mankind had been made and made complete, do you know what he said? It's very good. It's very, it's, it's tov ma'od. That's how he would say it in the Hebrew. It's very good. Because now, the mankind has its complement. Now what I want you to see then, why this is so significant, is because all was perfect in the world. Remember, sin has not entered into the equation yet, or into the world. And yet, God sees the man alone, and He says what? Not good. And so He remedies it. He makes things very good by doing what? By bringing man relationship. Now, isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful at what he does? And therefore, this is telling us that what God is doing here is he's saying that things are not as they were meant to be quite yet. All was right for the man. And then, woman, when they were together, God puts man in relationship with the woman so that they will, one, both flourish and thrive as human beings because they need each other, and two, know that they have a God who is even more delighted in them than they are with each other. That's what each other points them to. And so here's my sum, the sum of my point. Relationships are not morally evil and they're not even morally neutral. In the Bible, they are intrinsically good. They're good because they are. That's what the Bible is showing us. They're good, they're true, and they're beautiful because God made them. Now, can they go wrong? Absolutely. We'll look at that later next week. But it was not always so. I love what my favorite pastor writes when he says this. Adam wasn't lonely because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect. Let's get your mind around that for a second. The ache for friends is not a result of sin. Does that resonate with you at all? I mean, that, this man, like I'm created, I'm made with an ache to know you, to know my wife, to be in relationship with my parents and my colleagues and my kids. And so are you. And that is not something that is evil or wicked or morally neutral. It is something that is profoundly good and beautiful. He is saying the ache that you have to connect with people is buried deep into your personhood. That thing is right and it is good. And it means two things. First, one, your desire to be in community, to know and to be known, to have friends and people in your life 
is not something that you need to be ashamed of. Adam had God, y'all. Adam had God. Now think about that. And he still needed friends. The idea that one is holier by only needing Jesus or focusing on my relationship with Him alone is unbiblical nonsense. And therefore, it relates as it relates to dating, which we will talk about a lot, singleness does not equal godliness. Not in all cases. Like, what really pleases God is for me to just focus on Him and not be interested in dating or finding a spouse. <laughs> not true. Why? You'll see. You see, I, here's, what, here's why I'm saying this. Some of you are paralyzed by the idea that if I were really serious about God, I shouldn't want a girl or guy in my life. And so we beat ourselves up because of these good longings. But I'm telling you, that's just horrible and bad theology. Why? Because it's a lie. <laughs> because it's not true. That's why it's bad. But secondly, I want to show you this. It's actually why loss of relationship grates on us internally. It's why death hurts so, so dadgum bad. It's why if you've had a divorce in your family like I have, it's why that pain just seems to never go away. It's why loneliness among all other things, is actually a health crisis in the United States. You see, pursuing isolation, therefore, to pursue isolation actually costs you to live in a way that distances relationship or doesn't mend them is to go against your design. And that's why holding grudges makes you miserable. God made you to connect with others. And so when there is friction and relational distance, it acts as the stone in the shoe of our soul. That is a prophetically bad pun right there. If you caught that, it's horrible. I'm going to let it go. God's gift to us is other people. And I want you to know this. As I look back over my life, by far the richest blessings that God has given me in this life are people. It's my wife, it's my kids, my friends, you, my students. They're God's goodness to me. I'm sitting here looking out at all these faces and I'm saying, what a profound privilege, Lord, that you would bring these young men and these young women into my life, that I might have the opportunity to get to know them and to serve them. This is what relationship is all about. It's good. We ache for that which is good in relationships and to be a part of it. And the Bible validates that ache for relationship and community. And yet these things were never meant to be ultimate things. Did you know that? Only one thing can do that. And here is what I mean. Let's take a look thirdly, lastly, at the limits of relationships. The limits of relationships. I think all of us could agree that to say relationships are complicated is a bit of an understatement. And what I would like to show you here, the reason that they are complicated is because we have tended to use them as the reference point for our identity, for our very personhood, for our sense of self, so to speak. 
You see, in other words, we look at relationships and we can say something like this along with the great Dean Martin. You're nobody till what? Somebody loves you. The idea being what? That I've got nothing unless I've got you loving me. And I might call that the romantic view of relationships, maybe. And some of you know it deeply. Many of you think that right now. And so long as you view relationships in this way, you can't not be in one, right? Because your identity is attached to it. And so, even if you wanted to stop, you couldn't because you feel like you would disintegrate. But that is not the only way to make relationships the reference point. You see, you can also be incredibly cynical about them too. Even there, the cynic about relationships is basing or measuring his or herself on relationships. He or she just says this, I'll never be in a relationship. I'll do whatever I can to fend for myself. I'll play the field, have friends with benefits, but I'll never make myself vulnerable to anyone. But both views of relationships, the romantic and the cynic, here it is, are still finding their deepest meaning and value in life in coordination with relationship. And y'all, it was never meant to be that way. It was never meant to be so. And it's here that the Bible comes and corrects both of these understandings. Here is what I mean. The Bible tells us that we are made for relationships, but not by them. Say it again. The Bible says that we're made for relationships, but we are not made, we're not made by them. We could say that we are designed for them, but we are not defined by them. And how do we know this? This is where we go back to the text. We see God making man first in relationship with himself. I'll read the text, verse 127. So God made man in his own image, in God's own image. And you see, what gives man his value and dignity is being made in the image of God. Our personhood comes from the one who made us. And you can't know who you are. You can't have a right knowledge about yourself apart from knowing what you were made for. Think about it like this. A fellow campus minister of mine at the University of Tennessee, Matt Howell, and I were talking about this earlier today. We're talking about driving a nail into some wood. It could be a deck or a wall, whatever. And you would obviously need a hammer to do this. And you would judge the quality of that hammer on how well it drove nails into whatever you were driving it into. But imagine for a moment, instead, you picked up your trusty iPhone to do the job. You would soon find out that you would severely damage your phone, and you might conclude this. What a horrible iPhone. It wouldn't even drive the nail in. Now that would be ridiculous, because why? Because the iPhone was not made for driving nails, it was made for communicating to people. And not only is the job left undone, which you are upset about, the phone is now what? It's damaged. Listen, in the same way, Genesis chapter 1 is telling us something staggering about who we are. We were made for the purpose of relating to God. And that tells us who we are. We're made for the purpose of relating and knowing and delighting in God. And that tells us 
who we are. I love what the Westminster Shorter Catechism says. It answers it like this. What is man's chief end? What is his great, what's his ultimate purpose in life? You've been asking that question, haven't you? What are you made for? Here it is. That man's chief end, his ultimate purpose, in other words, is to glorify God, and I love this, and enjoy Him forever. That's why every man, woman, boy, and child was made. That's their purpose. And I love it because it's beautiful. Why? Well, listen, you might not believe in this, but I'm asking you to please consider, would you be willing to consider this is why your life matters and what it is for and the key for your happiness and meaning in life? I'm just asking this. Would you be willing to consider that as capital T truth? Why? Because you simply cannot know who you are and therefore the meaning of your life apart from what your life's purpose is. Identity, who you are, flows from purpose. And this means that interpersonal relationships, as wonderful and as hard and as good as they are, they have limits. They are not meant to be the thing that defines us, giving our deepest worth and value. Only right relationship to God can do that. And that is why in our last verse on our page, that John in his gospel writes this, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, knowing God is at the heart of salvation itself. And knowing God, while not devoid of facts, is a relational knowing. It's the intimate knowledge of persons. And it means that relationships lie at the very heart of being a human, but being a Christian too. You see, in short, y'all, I would say that we were created from relationship, destined for relationship for all eternity, and that we've been saved by relationship. The Bible's story tells us that from our beginning to our end and everything in between, we were made for relationship with the triune God Himself. You see, one day, if you are in Jesus, you'll know what's going to happen. You will finally see God face to face. The relationship that you have thought about and longed for all of your life, you will finally see Him face to face. If that's the great end, if relational knowing, face to faceness, if that's the goal, y'all, you participate in that right now. That is staggering. That's relationship par excellence. So how can we get this? How can I be sure this is true for me? And here's how. You see, at the very heart of the Bible is the story of a relationship between God and man. Throughout the pages of Scripture, God is shown as a husband, a loving husband pursuing a wayward and, yes, slutty bride, His people. Now, why would we be considered in such a seemingly offensive way? And here it is. Because each of us, me and you, are like lovers who have run away from our husband and have given our hearts over to lesser lovers. And this is what the Bible calls sin. And so I want you to see this, that you know that sin in the Bible isn't primarily about breaking God's rules. That sin in the Bible is primarily about breaking God's heart. It's relational. It severs, it cuts off, it chops off 
relationship with the one who has made us. And that's critical because once you begin to understand that, things begin to light up when you, see your, when you understand the Scriptures because you understand this. The wonder of it all is that God, whose heart we've wounded by running to other lovers, says this, I'll never leave you. In fact, you won't die for your waywardness. I will. That's the promise of the Gospel. The Scriptures declare this resoundingly so in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, where we see this, that God shows, He demonstrates, He puts on His display His wildly affectionate love for us in that while we were perfect, Christ died for us. No. That when we had our you-know-what together, God finally came for us and He saved us. Absolutely not. That God shows His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And friends, that's the good news tonight. That the God of the universe delights in saving train wrecks like me. In hot messes like you. That's how He loves to spend Himself. Jesus is the twice wounded one by us and by God that we would be brought back and restored to God Himself. He lost relationship so that we who scorned it in the first place would have it again. What an amazing commitment to His people. And that is the sort of love that you can't lose. You might say, well, Ryan, what happens if I get worse? And I want to say, nothing. Nothing happens. God saved you at your worst. What are you talking about? He delights in saving you as you are, not as you wish you, were be, you would be. He saves you in real space and time. Not in your glorified vision of yourself. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the family. Welcome to other beggars showing beggars where the food is, as we talked about last night and last week. And when you begin to see that, it begins to get in you and it moves you at your core. You begin to see that you're now free to pursue relationships, to pursue the goodness of them with other people received as a gift from our Father in Heaven. We're going to spend the rest of the semester looking at this. This is really good news for our souls. Let's pray together. Amazing love, how can it be that Thou, my God, should die for me? Thank You that You love us and that You care for us, O Lord. Thank You that You have loved us with an everlasting love. And the way that You have sought to rescue us and to redeem us is by us knowing You and You knowing us. Would You please remind us that this is what our hearts were made for. Would You please remind my friends here tonight that You love to rescue and save. And we pray that You would draw men and women to Yourself even now. And we ask this, O oh Lord, all for the glory of the One who has made us and delighted us and who's died for us, whose blood now pleads for, our, for us on our behalf. 
We thank you, Jesus, for doing it all. It's in your name we pray. Amen.